Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Over the next hour, together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, no hidden messages. Musician, composer, creator. Daniel O'Patton is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you every week on whupfm.org live. And also Evergreen via iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We have a website, murmurradio.com. That's one word, M-U-R-M-U-R dot oh. M-U-R-M-U-R-Radio.com. <laughs> we have social handles at MSFMurmur, Twitter, Instagram, if you will. Instagram, sounds English. Instagram. I think they should add an H to Instagram. Or A-E, Graham, Instagram. Hello. Uh, <laughs> Facebook and all kinds of social handles. MurmurRadio.com. Send us an idea. I will match it with a guest and give you credit, and we'll be on our way. People are starting to do that, and we will have those shows upcoming. Welcome back. Today on the show, Daniel Lopatin is with us, a.k.a. One O Tricks Point Never. Some of you may know him by that handle, that nom de plume. He is Daniel to me. Uh, <laughs> he is going to be with us. He's such a fascinating guy and I think a really interesting modern creator. As unoriginal as that sounds, not simply, be, you know, being a modern creator doesn't simply mean you're creating in real time now in our world. There's, there's a concept of modernity and I want to start with modernity and express a reaction to a trend I remember where I was when I first learned of uh, Marcel Duchamp, his work, particularly uh, his bicycle wheel, which he created in 1913, and also his fountain, which he created in 1917, 
And I remember seeing these works and before the art history professor described what they were, I was sort of visually taken by them. And that's step one in, in, in digesting anything, but let's make art our context this week. <laughs> How about that for a change? Art is our context. And hearing more about the work and Armut, how he signed uh, the Fountain Armut, 1917, it sort of revved up my mind and my imagination. And and that's really a stimulation that I embrace. And I think about that moment. I also think about the first time I saw on the waterfront, 1954. I didn't see that in 1954, <laughs> but I remember seeing it. And the moment, you know, the seminal moment one of the seminal moments of that movie where wherein Brando drops his glove talking with Eve Marie, Eve Marie Saint picks it up and starts fingering you know putting the hand he starts putting I gotta be careful here he puts the glove on his hands and and plays with his fingers so to say plays with a choose a piece of gum and at that point in time you know a revolution in, in movie acting was born and in Duchamp you know a revolution in art was maybe cemented uh, and the as as a work of art in the case of Duchamp, you know, it it gave birth to maybe it didn't give birth, but it, it solidified, it cemented in in a way for me at that moment. It became a totem of what we consider modern art. It's a work about a work about a work, and it's referencing and there's all these intern, internal systems. And the Brando thing, you know, it was about acting as metaphor, acting as sub not subtext, but embedded information. And I, and I loved that. And I loved that. But I think now 60 years later with, from Brando and, and a hundred years later, you know, the fountain, fountain, Duchamp's fountain was 1917. So we're a hundred years later. I'm kind of done with (laughs) irony. I've kind of done with subtext. I mean, everything is ironic and subtextual by a half, you know, and I, and I, I feel like uh, on a level of cinema, it's it's ruined it. We've talked a lot on the show with guests. You know, I remember we had Ty West on the show, a filmmaker, and I, I with him, I located it right near, you know, after the 1980s, a, a, a cinema, an era of cinema that I'm obsessing on. You know, we lost, we lost the, it's not that we lost formalism. We lost, uh, we lost, the ability to accept something for what it is, not what it isn't, or or for something for what it is, not what it is and something else. And, you know, movies and storytelling always relies on metaphor. One of my favorite quotes I've used on this show is Mike Nichols, right? A, a movie is about something and about something else. But in terms of artistic presentation, I, I'm, I'm, you know, if we look at it socially, people mistake sarcasm for intelligence. No, sarcasm is sarcasm. I'm over this idea of people saying they speak fluent sarcasm. How about simply speaking to me directly? You know, I I don't think sarcasm is charming, and I don't think irony is is always the default code for ingenuity. And I know something, a wink and a nod. This is what I'm presenting as a work in art, but a wink and a nod. Now, Daniel O. Patton. Daniel, I wanted to have on the show because if you receive his work as a creator, as a composer now, which scored this beautiful score to a film, Good Time, won the best uh, film soundtrack at Cannes, and we'll talk about that with him as sort of our gateway drug, but it's a gateway to so much more of his work because he takes 
sort of almost found objects and collages them together. And it's not, it's not a repurposing. You can receive repurposed art or you can receive art that works in metaphor on multiple levels. But I, I, I feel like we've lost, not through Daniel's work, because one of the reasons I wanted to have Daniel on the show is I think it's, a lot, it's all a lot more innocent when you see his work. And he's done a lot of really interesting video work, repurposing, so to say, songs, re-engineering songs, re-engineering visuals um, and, in a way that is an homage to those things. It's not to take the, you know, the steam out of it. It's not to show, it's not condescending to the, its origin. It's a celebration of its origin. So we'll talk about that with Daniel. But I think it's part and parcel to a problem I'm having now, a reactive problem to work seems to be about other work. And it, and it is primarily in the visual landscape. Music has a harder time because music is a blissfully one-dimensional in principle, a one-dimensional experience. But visual language, you know, we're trained now to see everything and see and in, and push our meaning into what we're seeing. You know, empathy is a wonderful thing. But I think we're now, we, we, we've now misplaced the primacy of power that art has or art can have or communication can have. Uh, this episode of, of the show is No Hidden Messages, and, and just to raise the curtain on that, it's a story I've told briefly before we bring in Daniel. I dated a girl many moons ago, and she made me a mixtape. And the mixtape, the title of it, remember when we used to put titles on mixtapes? The title was No Hidden Messages. And that blew my mind, because I couldn't tell, does that mean the songs mean what, what they're saying? Or are you worried that you're sending me hidden messages? It was the perfect mixtape title. Ironically, in a great feat, a great calisthenic of irony, have you noticed that cassettes are back? <laughs> Artists are releasing part of their marketing bundle is a cassette. So much to talk about with Daniel. That's the type of artist he is. I think there may be less to all this than, than meets the eye and the ear. Let's see what Daniel thinks. Today on Murmur, Daniel Lopatin, a.k.a. 10 Point Never, a.k.a. Daniel Lopatin. Now this. This is the Major. This is Condor. Stand by, Condor. Rooting you to New York Center. Condor 1-1, Mr. Higgins. Hello, Condor. Who is this? Deputy Director Higgins, New York Center. I'm controlling now, Condor. Where are you? How come I need a code name and you don't? Where are you, Turner? Here. You all right? Are you insane? Everybody's dead. Take it easy. Just take it easy and we'll bring you home. Here's how we'll do it. Do you know the Ansonia Hotel? Broadway and uh, 71st. Broadway and 73rd. There's an alley behind the hotel. One hour from now, at exactly 15.30, I want you to enter that alley from the 73rd Street side. Will you be there? The head of your department just came here from D.C. He's going to bring you home. I've never met him. Don't worry. He's studying your photos now. Turner? Turner! I don't know you either. We'll meet. He'll be carrying a Wall Street Journal in his left hand. There were two guys at my house. What were you doing there? You were told not to go there. I was homesick. Who were they? They were ours. What were they doing in my house? 
I'm not going in any alley with you or anybody and f*** the Wall Street Journal. Turner, it's been a long, bad day. You've been under... You're damn right I've been under. All right, Turner. We'll bring along a familiar face, somebody you know. Who's left? Got a friend in statistics named Sam Barber. <laughs> you guys are something. Will he do? <laughs> yes, Sam will do. All right, Turner. Stay well for 60 minutes, and you're home. Can I ask a question? Sure. What is happening? I'll talk to you in 60 minutes. You've got 55. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle. Oh, it was beautiful, magical. And all the birds in the trees, they be singing so happily. Oh, joyfully. Oh, playfully watching me. But then they sent me. Sets are back. I've been noticing that a lot of artists are releasing, you know, it's now the roll call is CDs, digital cassettes. I think that's cool, but what the hell do I know? Another thing that's really cool that's kind of back in a big way, or it's been back, but I'm just, again, the recurring theme today will be how uncool I am because we have, and, and it'll be highlighted because of the laughing, super cool guest we have. Um, the other thing that seems to be back are 
soundtrack LPs. There are a lot of cool companies. It's not just reissues of old soundtracks like Morricone and James Horner, uh, but it's the new style soundtrack. And what's also cool is the artwork on the soundtrack and the physical soundtrack itself is just kind of getting its time. Um, There was a James Horner's Alien soundtrack, I think it was last year, was re-released through Mondo, and it 75 limited editions were filled with xenomorph blood, this kind of cool blood. Why do I say this? I say this because I see something similar in today's guest. I, I can only imagine when his uh, soundtracks are released on, on vinyl, what will be inside the vinyl. That notwithstanding, I also think he's a not-so-closeted movie dork like me. Um, and how do I know that? Because when I read that he has a favorite Michael Haneke character, I was like, man, a man after my own heart. His soundtrack uh, for A Good Time is incredible, award-winning. And now, you know, like together again for the first time, please welcome to Murmur Radio, uh, 10trix Point Never, a.k.a. Daniel O'Patton, a.k.a. 10trix Point Never. Hey, man, uh, welcome to Murmur. Hey, Robert. Hey, Daniel. How are you, man? I'm great. I actually really want to deep dive your uh, your podcast. They look incredible. Oh. I had no idea. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm honored. And honestly, dude, we're as good as our guests. So like when you said yes, just, you know, <laughs> honestly, man, thank you so much. I was looking forward to it. Are you in uh, Brooklyn these days? Or? Uh, yeah, I just got I just got back to, to town. I was in uh, South Central Massachusetts for like a month and a half working on my record. Your stuff is uh, inc- off the charts in, in general, but I'm just glad a lot of new ears are hearing it, man. It's really super cool. I really cool. appreciate it. Have you noticed that A, cassettes are kind of back, and B, how cool soundtrack albums are being treated? Have you noticed that, or am I just bored as hell? No, you're not crazy. It's funny, when I got sort of started uh putting out records i was putting out these little mini albums on cdr and tape labels in the noise scene and uh that was just normal routine behavior there i think honestly um it makes sense that a bunch of crazy basement noise uh dorks were doing it and will continue to do it forever but then now it's more of a, a ubiquitous thing because honestly um people don't like shopping in a Silicon Valley mall yeah. for for music. Uh, you know what I always think about is um, those CD collections called Collector's Choice yeah. back in the 90s. And it was like a <laughs> third-party licensing company that came in and would be like, the two DB albums that you, you've never heard. And yeah. here they are on one album. And, <laughs> and there'd be a horrible kind of like some kind of graphic design thing and then within that it's just like this clinical graphic design thing and then the two album covers yeah. kind of like at weird angles <laughs> that's that's what um that's what spotify is yeah. that's what apple music is they're yeah. not cool they're not special they're turning music into this weird kind of collector's choice um thing where you are just there to listen and have a lot of it and you're not really there to pay attention so i have apple music on my phone now so i'm trying to you know i'm trying to be an adult and just join the world and be a normal person do things that everybody does so i got apple music yeah and I was like, okay, yeah, I have this album, I guess. Or do I? I can't really tell if I have it or not. <laughs> I, I think I have Sometimes it I have it, yeah. Sometimes my playlists work. <laughs> sometimes they don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I, sometimes I just simply can't listen to this thing even though I download it. I, don't, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no. And then I noticed that I was like, oh, I want to look at the Sepultura album cover up close because the, uh, the covers are always so – I mean, Sepultura, of course, the, 
the album covers are going to be amazing. They're going to have all this detail. You can't zoom in on a on the image. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can't zoom in. Yeah. So it's not even like they can't do these things. They yeah. just won't. And there's so much you can do in terms of making the practice of, of deep listening or deep experiencing the, the ephemera of music special. There's so much you can do, digitally speaking, that nobody wants to do. It just shocks me. As you were talking, I was thinking of FYE. Remember that store, FYE? It was like, it was like Sam Goody, then Sam Goody became the wall, and then the wall is like right. FYE. You mm-hmm. know, FYE is still in business. They still have retail stores. <laughs> That's interesting. Which is like totally... Where? Ins- you know, I don't know. LA? I'm not I, <laughs> Yes, right next to the old Virgin <laughs> Megastore. Uh, I was thinking of can which you won and i was thinking about how shallow the history of best soundtrack is it can i think 2013 was the was the first best soundtrack it was only lovers left alive was the first best ever award it's kind of like in the nfl they've only re- started recording sacks like since 1981 right. or something like that <laughs> one of the most important actions in the history of the nfl you know was it shocking that how shallow the history of can and best soundtrack is no it's not i mean can is basically a european uh celebrity uh, kind of uh pop zeitgeist moment for i think from the outside perspective american perspective it looks really really sexy you get there and it's kind of like this form of sexiness that is like <laughs> slightly repulsive the entire the entire thing it's like it's kind of hollywood feel so am i surprised that a bunch of dorks never got included no <laughs> look it's completely um a paradoxical event on one hand it's incredible that this um ceremony has such integrity considering what's happening all around it if i had to be on one list of anything it can it would be the soundtrack award yeah. only lovers <laughs> left alive yosef von Wiesem, uh howard shore actually won for maps yes. maps to the stars who i love amazing yeah. cliff martinez did neon demon yes that one it was awesome news there was nothing there was nothing about it that didn't rule it felt good actually at that moment to be a musician and that's something you really forget when you get there because everyone's dressed to the nines yeah. everyone's pitching their stuff yeah. every there's big money stuff going on everywhere it just has very little to do with the thing that you're you made to get there from a psychedelic psychedelic standpoint which i basically just live my life and whether i like it or not in this mode of constantly being slightly paranoid um i i always wonder okay is this would this okay so now what does this mean is for my life in the united states where i live like my whole life, I knew that the French were the biggest music fans. The well, the British are also the biggest music fans, biggest film buffs, and to be uh, to be respected for your craft, there really means something. So I left feeling so good about that. But then immediately, I'm like, it would never happen in the states, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I always, yeah. it's always, I I think I've always gone through all of these scenarios. Um, um, with the, with this grain of salt, just because maybe it's just even in the sense that that's sort of the position I like to play from, you know. Well, you know I also don't really want it, 
that bad. I want to, I want to have to fight and claw. Yeah, yeah. Woody Allen once said being paranoid means being well-informed. So I consider <laughs> you and I well-informed. Speaking with Daniel Patton, when I think of movie soundtracks, the, the next thing I think of is TV. And here's the question that agonizes me on a weekly basis with smart people like you. Why don't people think as deeply about scoring for television? We're in this TV golden age, but no one's talking about the golden age of TV scoring. Why, why do we not... Why do we not experience scoring on a level of TV equally? And are we missing it? Like, are we missing the boat here? Or is TV not the optimal Petri dish for music in that sense? I think about it all the time. A, I'm, it's funny because I complain about TV all the time and I watch it constantly. So I'm an addict <laughs> of this thing. I mean, everyone hates the thing they're addicted to because yeah. they're, you know, it's a problematic relationship. But I think it actually, goes back to this collector's choice thing because uh often you know my friend brian reitzel who's uh does a lot of television work huge fan of brian well he shares a lot of the same kind of vitriol for for the establishment but then he's kind of um also within it works within it and and knows how to do it pretty effortlessly and i always think about his television scoring actually because like so so what he did for hannibal is actually slept on and that's an yeah. nbc show yeah and um, so there is, I think there is opportunity, but I also repeatedly hear from him how, how stressful it is to have to come up with like 40 hours of music for a season and, yeah. uh, you know, 40 hours versus 40 minutes, there's your answer. I, I think for a lot of people working um, on those kind of timelines uh, with that much content that needs to be delivered to what's essentially like... Um, a company that's not that different from AOL or Sephora or Popeye's Chicken or something. And we're also, I think, in this uh, grown. I think people rush to to valorize or or celebrate or somehow memorialize in real time this this era of television. I, I think it's severely overstated. I, I, I mean, I, what what's so incredible? I, 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 I still, there's still not a show that I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch that again, other than Sopranos, which is like 20 years ago. <laughs> Is it because TV is, is such an oral, A-U-R-A-L, like word-based medium that we can't listen to two things at the same time? I mean, is, is it just the space in our brain? Is, is that part of it? Is We're conditioned to expect words and we can't process words and sounds in the same space? Or Agree that- or disagree with Brett Easton Ellis, but he, something he brings up a lot, uh, which I find interesting, is I think it's a general thing that you're addressing here that television is really really move, moves away from the celebration of the form and towards this uh, kind of Victorian um, obsession with story right yeah. it's like Dickens yeah I agree I totally agree yeah. so when you're in that you're in that headspace that's a that's very dense headspace and and there's not much room for anything and there's not even much room for the image and it's yeah. Yeah. film. <laughs> basically so yeah. that's where it does get a little suspect for me the entire project of television becoming you know this new paradigm and that <clears throat> it it's it still it still needs to grow up it's still kind of in its first epochal stage yeah cut to like 10 years from now and you're doing will and grace redux uh, <laughs> co- composer like staff composer i could totally see that but talk a little bit about does art have a shelf life or do you think you can build modern art in a way that that can kind of live on because your stuff is kind of in and out of time which i love uh, do you think there's a danger in that 
Yeah, it's funny. I was in Boston working at, uh, at a publishing uh, house. Were you at, a temp at a desk job? You... I was a I was a junior project manager. I had no idea uh, how to how to even do my job. I mean, I just kind of fell into it quite accidentally and was trying to learn what what this uh, position was. And I would have to get there super early in the morning to speak to developers in Bangalore, India. And give them give them um, instruction and feedback on the on these builds of a of a content management system, or that I had no idea even how the thing worked. So my whole life was just completely completely hypocritical. I just I was doing a job that I didn't understand. I mean, the whole thing was crazy. So I spent a lot of my time in this cubicle, like the Keanu and the first, Neo in the first scene in the Matrix of the cubicle. In my life, that's where I was, right, and. Right. I wasn't in a in in uh, in a place where I really felt uh, any kind of ambition to, you know, be a composer. What I thought was the best way to live was essentially just deal with music because I was surrounded with it, like I deal with all digital ephemera and just kind of manipulate it and make it my own. I just developed this kind of bratty relationship to media where I just felt like it wasn't interesting until I did something to it that was that made me feel like it had this idiosyncratic uh, emergent feeling to it. So it wasn't like that. Now it sounds deep when I say it that way, but then it was just like a, a normal bratty reaction to not enjoying where I was at in life. I was like into DJ screw. I was into John Oswald. I was into anything that where somebody was, taking something that was meant to be interpreted one way and then seeing what what bizarre kind of phantom life was inside of it if you just played with it a little bit. When you slow things down or do any kind of sound on sound or digital signal process type uh, thing to to audio, uh, some kind of um, some kind of new or latent emergent kind of existential field of play starts starts bubbling up from it you know not to sound uh, mundane but I, I i like mundane uh were me you, too were you posting this on myspace were, what was going on yeah like, what were the platforms my friend encouraged me to have a myspace um music like a band page and i i kind of i mean i just was so not serious i really just thought like okay my life has basically reached this existential cul-de-sac this impasse it doesn't really matter i can name my band whatever i want i'm not even a band i'm basically just like this virtual um you know shimmer of myself i'll call it this ridiculous thing one of tricks point never i'll post weird bedroom synth jams that i've been making since i was you know 17 18 years old or whatever and uh, even to to do that it took an enormous amount of coaxing from my friends because they really I thought you were going to say a picture of that I thought you were going to say an enormous amount of coke um, <laughs> but you know did you ever think that maybe too um, did you ever maybe weed <laughs> did you ever think of going full Banksy full street artist or full or was it just I mean was this just like a goof were you angry or just bored or depressed yeah. uh, depressed yeah. I was really depressed I, I just you know it was like I think I had these I had this sort of create creative uh explosion when i was like 18 through 20 and then something really weird happened i became very introverted and shy what happened 
Um, I think it was this. I think it was basically just relationship. I think it was one hundred percent relationships. I think it was moving from like one um, tryst or or some sort of obsession or or some kind of weird um, you know relationships based on on my kind of uh, weird narcissistic um, construction of the. You know, I had this very bad tendency when I was young to, which I think a lot of teenagers have in general but maybe i think i just was so i had such a big ego and really nothing to to develop with that ego other than these relationships when i was in and they were very destructive and so i would fetishize this kind of or romanticize this aspects of the relationship that weren't weren't really real and then they would end and i would get extremely uh introverted and hermetic and depressed and go on these long stretches of time where I couldn't be fucked with at all. I just didn't want to have friends. I didn't want to do art. I didn't want to do anything. When you keep these cycles yeah. in your life, when we keep these kind of killer cycles, how did you regenerate? I mean, in these cycles, how were you socially regenerating yourself? I think that was really the big problem was that I was, I was, and I, I could, I think in, on some level that's tapered off, but I still, I still go through these waves of like, just don't contact me. I'm not a human right now. I'm just a cyborg. Mm. I'm just a worker. And I think that that's, um, that's what I was actually going to say is that from those weird uh, depressive bouts where I'd be really intimate with a person or working really closely with someone in a music project and then check out or abandon it, which obviously broke up a lot of relationships. And I still, <laughs> I still have those people in, in my life and they're still, you know, upset, um, there's still some level of uh, upset feelings about some of those things in the past, but I, I would, I being the child of Russian uh, refugees, I think that their fear, their trauma really probably fucked with me more than I know. Yeah. And it's not really <laughs> something I've really checked out, but yeah. whenever things went awry, my answer was always, I should just be normal. And then I w it was weird fucked up game where i was just trying to be a status quo invisible blending in with whatever as possible and just forget your life just be an automaton like that's what that's what you're supposed to be what i wonder and i think people wondering listening a little bit and we've had gerard way on the show and sharon van etten and they've talked about depression and they've talked about struggles you know, family tree struggles and that kind of that kind of ethos and i'm wondering though someone found you like how how because i think i'm going to say something that's a little yeah. caustic but i think you can handle it based on your self-awareness there are people who go through a lot of what you're going through and i'm not trying to diminish it but are still there how did the world find you there is a little bit of serendipity and the neo of it all oh, absolutely how did, you know what separates you now from those people with a big iron bucket on their head who can't get out of bed and who want to watch youtube all day that's a well, those are the people i was I, those are the men women or other those are always the people i was most attracted to friendship otherwise i, I love i just i actually worship people that are are full iconoclasts and just won't um deal just won't do it won't try and um it's weird because that that's total fetish because there's no good reason to live your life th that way. Inversely, there's no reason to be a crazy Nietzschean will Machiavellian will to power asshole. Like there's just none. So these are just extremes. And I, I did get 
I, I, there is absolutely a modicum of, of luck in all of this. If you don't acknowledge that, you're you're maniac. Uh, like, sorry you said that. I think <laughs> I like that part <laughs> of it, but I I I am a teacher. I can't teach luck, so I try to stay away from sure. it. But you, I get that L word a lot, man. I mean, I asked Jeff Tweedy, "What's the difference between you and the guys from American Movie?" And he's like, "Luck." I love that movie. Yeah, it's incredible. It's you know, it's one of his favorites. It's like. It's luck. God damn it. I, well, okay. Maybe that's a little... You I don't mean, have to take it there's back. There's also this humble brag thing with luck, right? Like, I don't... I don't really, I'm not really saying I prescribe to that. But I think, look, things happen... If if you're doing your craft and it's good, it's solid, you, you're, and, you're, and you're not totally shy and you're willing to connect with other people and share, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. And... Yeah. I think um, the thing that really um, maybe you can teach that I can say that I did was wh- however however different uh, of an attitude I may have had in actual meat space and however depressed I might have actually been in reality, I really wasn't on the internet. I was pretty insane and I was a go-getter and I would write direct messages to la- to, to festival organizers and and label people, and I just grind it really yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> I can imagine from the perspective of the, that cura- curatorial class uh, the, who get that all the time, and you have to siphon through that stuff, you know, it's probably, there's probably just seas of garbage that they encounter, and it's not enough just to be aggressive. You absolutely have to back it up. But yeah, you can't, you can't just sit back. No, and no, I don't th- think I did. No, there's a little Dustin Pedroia in you. I mean, there's a little. <laughs> I'm throwing a few Boston reference. No, but there there is. Here's my theory. As we move into a different beat with Daniel Patton. tell everybody who your favorite, if you remember, who your favorite Michael Haneke character is. Oh, right? Benny. Yeah, and Benny. tell who Absolutely. is Benny because I have a theory. You're Benny. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Without um, without the weapon, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love I that movie. My, by the I way, I think my my. Uh, my pig uh, ex- <laughs> determination device is is my is my will to uh, to to create shit. But it's from Benny's uh, video, Benny, the Michael okay, Haneke. So there's yeah. a Haneke uh, early uh, one of his earlier films called Benny's Video, and we won't give away too much because there's some the the aggression is fascinating. Um, yeah, let me just not even speak on what it's about. Right, so just tell me. Yeah, go ahead. It's worth watching. Let's just put it. If you only watch one of his movies, I'm going to say just watch that one because there's no way you're not going to want to watch another one. So just start there. Right. And uh, um, what can I say? It's about a young. Um, it's like a sociopath in 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 training wheels, learning how to be a, learning how to be a master manipulator in a way, a playboy and a sort of bizarre Rasputin of the family structure. That's how I see it. And, and who later uh, became Funny Games. I mean, it's the same actor. <laughs> yes, they, yeah, exactly. It's uh, kind of uh, yeah. some weird uh, Tolkien-esque uh, prequel, I guess. <laughs> In white shoes. Yeah, it's, I mean, Benny's video, I usually recommend that second because 
I'll, I'll go with like cachet just because I kind of feel that splits the difference. Yeah. It gives you a little something to either stay away from or go towards. And then if they're really serious about Hanukkah, you go for you go for Benny's video. That's the one. If I'm honest, I started on cachet as well. That yeah. was my first. Yeah. Let's but talk- I think when I saw Benny's video, I was like, okay, that's it. It seals the deal. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in on this. I got to say, I think he's the greatest living filmmaker. But talk a little bit about some of your first film memories. Were your parents rush from russia st petersburg were they film watchers is it too cliche to say did they like russian films was that too on the nose um to say anything about soviet russia in terms of like uh cultural activity is totally bizarre and the lost on me is a basically i feel like an adopted uh child in this family my sister and my parents all came together i was yet born i was being processed being pasteurized i think it was a real physical burden, bondage that they felt, that they knew, that they really knew that they weren't getting the entire picture of the world. And so mm-hmm. if you can imagine living your entire life in monochrome and knowing that there's color, that's that's what life was like there. And it it's not that every day was some kind of crazy Orwellian nightmare, but culturally it was very difficult um, I think for them to totally grasp what was going on, even around them, because it was so super over curated and ideological, right? I'm, I'm th- God, man, I'm, I'm, the movie in my head is Tarkovsky Stalker. It's like, yeah, of course. you know, the colors <laughs> and the textures, and then it goes into real color, and then it goes out of real color. And, you know, mir- the mirror, which is, again, you know, not yes. to get too in, in the rabbit hole. One theory, and then two potential job ideas for you as as we move towards the end with Daniel Lopatin. Um, the theory is you may be a philosopher. There's a common mistake in, in the definition of philosophy. Philosophy isn't knowing the answer. It's asking the question. Philosophers loved questions. Tell me, do you like questions? Yeah. In fact, I love philosophy. And I, <laughs> I, absolute, I, absolutely, I absolutely love the question. The answer is just wrong. The answer is just wrong. And that's actually something I really kind of believe in artistically. There's something I do in music that I always think is an absolute, like I always call what I do vague formalism, but sometimes I'm not vague at all. And one of the things I like to do is abandon a motif um, like at some awkward um, point in, in, in a bar that the sort of meter or the, the um, logical timeline of a motif and interrupt it with something that's absolute just garbage, just nothing, just noise or something. Why don't you hang in there? I mean, why, why aren't you, <laughs> why aren't you Bellatar? You know, why don't you hang in there? You know, th- there's I'll not, try. there's not a laugh in any of those goddamn movies and I love them. Um, wh- why don't, why don't you hang in there? Wh- wh- why, why do you have to turn? Can you create a work that has no irony, no second act, no echo to it? Can you create, yeah. can you create a straight work? Yeah. And I do. I mean, you know what? I, I think, you, we could sit down, and 4chan's already done this. There's a taxonomy of all of my uh, 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 styles on there. But we can actually sit down and, and put them these things into buckets where I'm where I'm seeing the world through a kind of uh, where where Nietzsche is more my guy or Julia Kristeva is more my girl. And there's there's times where where I'm mutable. I have to say that. I really love I really love the sort of uh, the tagline summaries of what it is that I do it, as as much as I I, I love to um, subvert 
that idea and say that there's no ultimate thing. I absolutely love to pick a day and just say I'm this, but that'll change the next day. So within those those boxes, if it makes sense, I'm 100. I'm absolutely committed, and I and I'm 100 percent um, sincere. It, it, and even it, when it's it funny, sense. I'm sincere, sincere, sincerely laughing. I'm not. I'm really not taking the piss. You know, I was thinking about the 1980s. I've been drawn to a lot of movies from the 1980s, and I was thinking about some movies that you've referenced in in other places, like um, Back to the Future. You know, you talked about the town you grew up on and has a kind of Robert Zemeckisian <laughs> feel to it. You also mentioned another 48 Hours as a film that you'd want to rescore, which was brilliant. But I thought about those movies and I thought about the 80s. Okay, I think another 48 Hours may have been the 90s. But the point is the 80s in movies were that. There was no piss in those movies. They yeah. are they are what they are. And it's it's a it's a it's a mind screw now. We may not be able to get back to that because artists like yourself we always think are doing something that something else. But I think the thing about you and honestly why I think you're unique and really fascinating modern artist is there's nothing more than what you see. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as an insult. I think that's a triumph now because everything is everything else other than the thing itself. And because that's what Twitter is, right? Twitter is all subtext. Um, it's, a, it's a subtextual mechanism. So what I love about your work is this is what it is. It's, it's, it's terrestrial. Before we close that, this has been fun. And next time yeah. we do this, I'd love to like hang out and, and drink and talk about some of this crap. But um, let's do it. Here's a couple of th- thoughts. Noodling through some of your favorite soundtracks again which i think is a really cool referendum on your stuff you mentioned one again that i don't think a lot of the uh the day-to-day soundtrack lovers would know it's a movie called body love which is a soundtrack by klaus schultze can you tell everyone (laughs) about that soundtrack and have you ever seen the original film no i've never seen the film dude yeah (laughs) so you have homework there's a lot of see this is the this is the this is very typical of uh, also people obsessed with or composers in general like that soundtracks are their own weird thing that people can listen to in a bubble and they just like sometimes don't even care about the movie which is completely autistic and bizarre like i get it there's really just two schools of thought on soundtrack soundtracks as releases and one is like yeah, it's great, but it doesn't stay. You need the movie or whatever. And I'm always like, really? I purposely programmed it not to be like that. But I think we are in this cool age now where you can literally sit down with vinyl or whatever mechanism and really, and especially with your work, Daniel, you can really live in that space. Sorry, I digress. Tell people about uh, Body Love, Klaus Schulze. Okay, well, what I love about it is probably boring, but it's just Klaus and... and uh, Harold Groskopf, as I remember, on drums. So it's like already this really weird orientation that that really was a so such a it was just a, it was a thing that emerged from from this era of kraut rock where it was kind of like let's let's transplant this idea of what rock is, but let's let's totally uh, apply it to this body that makes no sense, like a duo of keyboards and drums that just playing a re- one repeated thing with varying levels of dynamics or, te- or tension or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite Krautrock albums because I think it encompasses that in the entire passion of that, um, that 
mode of of music making that existed there and it's and it's also this amazing thing for me of 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 this like kind of german this weird german cyber sexuality yeah that yeah. is like it's so unique it's so idiosyncratic it's so hard to replicate correctly and so easy to to generalize about and that's my favorite kind of music like just nothing music that you think is just this thing that plays at the uh at like jc penny <laughs> it's totally a soundtrack to porn well th- so, that's 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 the know, lead I and i mean that's not the lead but that's the the act two is body love is is a is the original movie is is a porn film uh yeah would you score yeah. an erotic film would you 100 sc- percent what is the the turn upon uh, I'm using this clinically what is the turn on compositionally sonically to scoring an adult film potentially the more uh codified the genre is the more specific the 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 genre is the 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 more of a prison of an idea it is the more excited I get yeah I love and that. and that's almost become a a sort of artistic cliche in and of itself right but it's a good one it's a really good one because um, I, I can't tell you how exciting it is to 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 br- to break through uh, that code, right? To, like the Matrix is essentially about that. Any good cyberpunk or any good science fiction is basically like, what's really going? On? Who? What's really going? What is the evil genius actually doing? Right. And 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 good art actually reveals the the mechanics, the sort of weird uh, passion of 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 the form. And so when you're immersed in the genre, which is so much about form and rules, and it's a game, and suddenly you're moving those pieces around, this is also why I'm obsessed with Cooper yeah. and why I think many people might, um, beyond his just gratuitously Euclidean um, beautiful shots and everything else that people talk about. I have an, a thought, and it's the way I want to close out with you, because I was thinking about you and scoring, and, and we had Moby on the show, and not to compare you to Moby in, in any way, and it's not fair to either of you, but I once asked him, what did you learn from scoring a film? He said, I learned that I never want to score a fucking film ever again. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I want, to twist, I want to twist that around a little bit with you, because he did something that he still does, but I don't think he's done it well enough, and I would, I would offer it up to you, because I think there's something here. Moby has a website called Moby Gratis. Have you ever heard of this website? No. What he does is he he makes X number of tracks available to independent filmmakers, to student filmmakers who have no money to license music or buy music, and they can use his music in their film. Would you ever consider doing something like that to totally put you on the spot? Would you ever consider marrying your work to films like emerging filmmaker films or, or creating a resource for it. Yeah, I like it. Having willfully decided at some point over the past five, ten years or whatever to be part of the quote-unquote record industry was a very strange decision for me. And I think in retrospect, if I had to make that decision again, I probably just would have, wouldn't have done it. Meaning I wouldn't have participated in all the sorts of cogs and, and levers that led me to this point of, having to, on a daily, monthly, yearly basis, um, plan so rigidly the things that I'm doing and why and, and try not to get constantly fucked over because that's what you sign up for. Yeah. And, of course, there's great things about it, and it pushes you to to kind of be more specific and everything like that. But I do, I am excited about about a time where I can just basically like freely proliferate 
shit again. Because you're in an interesting place, man, and it's not about winning an award at Cannes, but you, people are going to know more about you, and they already know you, so they're going to want you in their boxes, to, to coin Mr. Kubrick again. And you can go, and I won't hold it against you, like go into those boxes and, and score the next Iron Man movie, but... What's your outlook on that? Would would you would you want to would you do those kind of projects? It's funny because I'm now I don't know which of the age film score agents I'm talking to will hear this and use it as uh, uh, either leverage or their downfall. Sorry, man. I'm gonna say it. I don't give a shit. There's two types of films that I could make moving on. One is a softy film, and the other is a Pixar film, and that's it. Or a porn. So if there's a Body Love remake, I'm in. Or if there's a Wally sequel, I'm down. But pretty much everything in between doesn't interest me. And that I don't know how else. I mean, if if that's not really the philosophy, uh, latent within this entire discussion, then I don't know what it is. What if know? they remade Inside Out? You know, and just called it called it In and <laughs> In and Out, and it was a Pixar porn. It, uh, in oh I'm with it before we started talking not that I think any differently of you now I if I didn't know you I, I'd look at your work and I think good God this guy's never going to want to hang out with me um, but l- like all um, <laughs> all artists of curious I mean to me what's common about you is what's hopefully common about me is you are you're curious and you want to know and you know you're no different i don't think you're any different now than you were when you were five years old and i didn't know you then but i think you know not only are you a philosopher you're a student and i i this has been a blast man and i I don't know how uh, (laughs) you know i just want to say um uh, the next time i come through new york uh the beer is on me man we should hang out and i'd love to chat some more absolutely just as friends not 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 with anything to, to gain or lose thank you so much for being with us daniel best of luck with everything and if i can be of any help Please let me know. All right. Thanks. Great thanks. talking. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye. Just Bye. want to be sorry, Daniel. Just want to be clear. <laughs> Goodbye. Just want to be clear. You know, intellect and intelligence is under assault. And I think these are still great things. I'm just talking about how much cheesecloth do we have to put between us and the enjoyment of something? I could do with a lot less cheesecloth, whether it's in daily dialogue or art. Now, Daniel Patton, you know, his work is a sort of tease to go deeper into it. And I think that's great if we do so of our own recognizance. But if so much of what something's value is, is somewhere else, I, I, I think, you know, we can, u- that becomes a, a, a game that, that there's no winners, <laughs> you know, and I think the, the viewership is left out. And I, I do miss formalism. That's simply formalism. I do miss that. And I think one of the react, you know, modernism, Postmodernism became a reaction to formalism because formalism was sort of an academic idea. I don't see it that way. I never have. And I don't think Daniel does. I think embedded in his intelligence and his metaphor is a pure ethos. And that works for me. I want to thank Daniel O'Patton, 106 Point Never, for being with us today. I want to thank you. For being with us every day, every week, live, whupfm.org. Check us out. We are Evergreen, also iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and, uh, I, sorry, website, murmurradio.com. At MSF Murmur is a social handle. Twitter, Instagram. Check out Daniel's work and check out Good Time. It's an incredible soundtrack. Then dig a little deeper. 
This stuff is all breadcrumbing for you to find your own meaning. See ya.